Hello, church. Hello, good morning. Good to be with you today, continuing our series, Facets, looking at all of the different aspects of the resurrection. You know, we've been doing this for the last few weeks since, uh, since Easter, and what I'm thankful about this series is that we are wanting to make sure that we understand, and we've said this many times, but we're wanting to make sure that we understand what is, in my opinion, and, and I would say the scholar's opinion, the most important aspect of what we believe as Christians, that all of Christianity rides and rests on the resurrection of Jesus and subsequently our resurrection as well. But today we're going to do something a little bit different in the sermon uh, in that we're going to lean very heavily into uh, a, a look at apologetics and theology. Now, hopefully that doesn't put you right to sleep. Hopefully I'll catch you for just another five or ten minutes and hopefully keep your attention. But the reason for that is because the text is very apologetic and very theologically uh, heavy. And, and by the way, when I say apologetic, I don't mean apologizing. I mean the word apologetics has to do with giving a defense or an explanation of what something means. So we're not apologizing for anything. Um, but what you're going to see in the text is Paul responding to some people who had some very serious doubts regarding the resurrection. Now, that brings up a good point, and, and I want to say this. Having doubts and questions regarding what we believe as Christians is a normal part of the discipleship process. Um, maybe you came from a church tradition in which doubts, if you had any kind of doubts or questions, that that was looked on as a, a sign of a lack of faith or disbelief or unbelief, and that was a bad thing. And so you had all the time lots of questions, and you never knew what to do with them. And, and, and I would say this, that when we have doubts or when we have questions about what it is we believe and why we believe it, the best thing that we can do is to ask the questions and to seek for answers. The worst thing we can do is to feel ashamed of our doubts and to never pursue biblical answers. And I'll say this, that God is a big God. He can take your doubts. He can take your questions. He is ready to bring you through the Holy Spirit. He is ready to bring you to good answers to your faith. And so just know that that is a part of the discipleship process. Now, that being said, again, what I have loved and appreciated about this series is our robust and clear proclamation, again, that all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. And without it, as Paul states in verse, in, uh, verse, 15, verse 17 of this chapter, that our faith is futile and we are still in our sins and we are the most pitiful people on the planet. In our sermon today, we're going to continue looking at the resurrection beginning in verse 35. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. And Pastor Ryan um, preached last week on uh, in such an important aspect of the resurrection, just answering the question, because it is true, this is what we believe. So I'm going to invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 35. Paul writes this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, for there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the, of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And this is God's word for us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Whoa, that's a lot. How many of you are like halfway through, I don't know what's going on. Am I in the right church? Did I, did I come to the right place this morning? That Paul is going all over the place. You felt that, right? And he starts off uh, being a little ornery. Did you catch that at the beginning? You foolish person. Now, I'll tell you why he did that. Because Paul, everywhere he went, and, and, and even the churches that he planted always had critics. And there were people in the Corinthian church who were criticizing Paul and asking him questions. But it was not the kind where, you know, sometimes people will ask you questions because they want to get you. They want to put you in a corner so that you, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to answer. And, and people will ask you questions because they want to get you. They want to put you in a corner. Know how to answer their questions. And Paul's like, <laughs> you fools, I have the Holy Spirit. And he delivers an answer, which, as we just read, is complicated to some degree. But what I hope that you see this morning as we go through and unpack this passage just a little bit, that, um, well, here's my hope for you. My hope is that as uh, we have, as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of God's word this morning, that you will, you will leave today with a sense of um, hope for the future and peace in the present. That's my hope for you today. So as we look at this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Paul's path for us. Is He's going to give us an apologetic for the resurrection. He's going to talk about the effect of the resurrection and then finally the end goal of the resurrection. And then after we look at all these three, we're going to ask the question, so what? Which is the part that I hope gives you hope and peace. But first, let's just look at the apologetic for the resurrection. Uh, you have to admit that as Christians we believe in some very fantastical things. And what I mean by that is 
some very incredibly supernatural things, right? If you go through the creation account, if you look at the story of the flood, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, David uh, uh, killing Goliath, the virgin birth, Jesus walking on water, we, we as Christians, we, we believe that these are not just stories to teach us something, but that they are things that actually happened and that by the power of God, God made these things happen. That in our inability, obviously none of us can create a universe. None of us can walk on water. None of us can survive a night in a lion's den on our own. But through the power of God, all things are possible. And so when we read these stories, they're not, again, these are real things that happened. And they're not just supposed to make us go, yeah, that's awesome. They're supposed to remind us that God is a powerful God able to do whatever he wants. And so that really sets up where Paul is going in uh, the passage. Um, the most important aspect and the most important thing that God ever did was raise Jesus from the dead. And some of us who have grown up in the church, we, we may take the, the very idea of the resurrection for granted, right? I grew up in church. I grew up in a small Baptist church in Castro Valley. And so my earliest memories are going to church and you just, every spring, you know Easter's coming, right? And so you just, you, you, oh yeah, it's Easter and Jesus rose from the dead. And, and so because it's a regular rhythm, the weight of it can, maybe not for you, but it can be lost, it can be lost. And so Paul is speaking to a group of people who have their questions and they're wrestling with the legitimacy of the, of the resurrection. And, and you got to remember, Paul's speaking to Roman Greek culture, which is heavily influenced uh, by a Gnostic philosophy, which believed that the body, the flesh, is just a shell. It's just an outer coating for the soul, and it doesn't mean anything. It's, uh, it's, it's just going to burn, and it's just going to be a castaway. So it doesn't really matter what you do with your body, because the body is essentially evil or pointless, right? But Paul's point here is that, no, the body is not meaningless, uh, and it is a it points to something better that's coming. Uh, another doubt of the legitimacy of the resurrection that, uh, that people had was, well, am I just gonna get a, like a copy and paste of my original body, right? Like is, like, <laughs> like is God just gonna select all and then you know, uh, command C and then command V, not P, that's print, command V, right? Is that all that's gonna happen? And I'm, I hope not because I've seen myself in the mirror and I, I'm looking forward to something a little bit better. Now, I say that in jest, but I also know that um, some of us maybe who have uh, very serious physical maladies, sicknesses, weaknesses, whatever it is, that if, if you told somebody for all eternity you're going to be stuck in that state, would that give them hope? And the most basic critique of the resurrection was that God just wasn't able to do it. He's just not able to do it. And I would say this, isn't that the core of all of our unbelief, right? Isn't that the core of all of our unbelief, that God's not able to do it? So Paul answers these doubts. He answers these questions in three, using three different analogies. And the first one's from agriculture. Look at verse 36. It says, what you sow, 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Paul's talking about seeds, he's talking about agriculture, and his point here is that in the resurrection, uh, there's going to be something different than what, what began. And so he uses the analogy of a seed. Now it's springtime, many of us are planting our gardens and flowers and whatnot, and if you were going to plant roses in your garden... Would you take an old rose bush, pull it out of the ground, and just bury it in the dirt? No, of course not. You wouldn't do that. You would go and get seeds. You have to cultivate the seeds. You have to cure them, right? Uh, if, if, if you're going to plant anything, if you want anything to grow, you actually have to take the thing that was dead, the, the dead plant, the dead fruit, the dead tree, cultivate the seeds, and then plant something new. And Paul's point here is that what is going to come in the resurrection is not the exact copy, but something new, and it has to die first. Does that make sense? It has to die first. The seed planted is not the body that will come up from the ground. The tomato seed doesn't look like a tomato. In fact, when you hold seeds in your hands, can you tell what they all are? I mean, maybe some of you, okay? But most of us, sorry. <laughs> I knew some of you out there like, I can. But most of us in the room, if you, get, if you put a handful of seeds, you'd, you'd go, uh, plants, right? Like, that's, that's all you could do. The body that we're living in now is not the body that we will have in the resurrection. Then Paul talks about, the, uses the differences in the created order. He says in verse 39, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for, for fish. Now, what Paul is talking about here is, look, God, who uh, ordered everything in the creation, ordered all things, he didn't just make all of one kind of animal. He made all kinds of different uh, created things. And Paul's point here is, look, there's fish, there's, 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 there's dogs, there's birds, there's people, and God, there's a difference between, again, and he's just making a point here, an apologetic point, that there's a difference between the natural body that we inhabit and the resurrected body that is to come. Not all bodies are the same. Verse 40, he talks about heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. They are different. You have to believe, you have to see that there is going to be a difference then finally, Paul points to the stars. Look at verse 40. He says, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, some of us in here are like, didn't Paul know that the sun is a star? No, he didn't know that. This is the 2,000 years ago. Nobody knew that for a while. So just hang on. You're okay. But his point here is that, look, the heavenly bodies, the things that are in the sky, the stars, the planets, uh, they all have a different glory or light to them. And the same thing is true. There is a glory of the earthly body, but there is a greater glory of the heavenly body, of the resurrected body. Paul is trying to make the point, and I think he does it here, that in these examples in creation, it's displaying not only God's ability to give believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, different kinds of bodies in the resurrection, but that we are reminded of that fact all the time just looking at nature and creation. We're reminded of it. Don't you love that the Lord gives us reminders in all of creation? I mean, we could spend weeks just talking about how the Lord gives us little footnotes all in everything around the world that point to some sort of heavenly glory. 
So that's, the, that's Paul giving his apologetic for the resurrection. But now let's, let's turn our attention to the effect of the resurrection. Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there has to be, there is a spiritual body. And now so what Paul is doing is he's, in order to explain the differences in the, resur- the actual resurrected bodies, he uses four different contrasting statements to help us understand the difference. Okay, so there is a resurrection, but what does it actually look like? What does it actually feel like? So he, he uses four different contrasting statements. And first he says, what was sown as perishable will be raised as imperishable. And this first contrast has to do with durability. And one of the most obvious characteristics of the natural life, all human life, is that it will come to an end. That there is no, in this this physical body, there is no living forever. That even, even, even the healthy infant has a countdown. All of us have one. Mortality is a reality. And we feel that, don't we? We feel that when we lose people. And it hurts. This has been known for centuries. Solomon says, all go to the same place. All came from the dust and all will return to the dust. Psalmist writes, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field. So he flourishes when the wind has passed over it. No, it is no more and its place acknowledges it no longer. That even the healthiest of people, as they get older, we become weaker and more subject to disease and decay. One of the tragic consequences of the fall is that our bodies have an end date and we are subject to death. Without exception, every single human being is living in a perishable body. But the resurrection, at the resurrection, the body of the believer will be raised as an imperishable body. This is living forever. Paul says, there is no decay, there is no time clock, there is no mortality in the resurrection, that when we close our eyes for the last time here in this world, we open them to an eternal existence. Yes, that we will never die. The resurrection stops the aging process, and does that mean we all in, in the resurrection, we're walking around at the age of 33. I have no idea. I, I don't know. But I do know this. Whatever that body looks like, whatever that, that physical reality that we live in, it is imperishable and it will live forever. Never, ever to feel the weight of death again. Second, he says, what was sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. The second contrast has to do with potential. Now at the fall, again, all of this starts at the fall, man's potential for pleasing and serving God 
was radically reduced, and not just in mind and spirit, but also in our bodies. We talk about our, the, uh, the spirit is willing, but the what? But the flesh is weak. And in our sinful states, we have this, this proclivity to always sin. That we, what, we were created to honor God, and now we're characterized by dishonoring God. And we dishonor God by our inability to take advantage of the blessings and the grace that he puts before us. And, in, and as, we, as we continue to misuse and abuse our bodies through our sinful ways, we are less and less able to honor and serve the Lord. But, but that imperfect and dishonored body will one day be raised in glory that throughout eternity, our new immortal bodies will be honorable bodies perfectly suited for pleasing, praising, and enjoying the creator of the universe. We were singing praises earlier, right? And isn't it, isn't it odd, or don't you feel it when we're singing praises to God, the most beautiful, magnificent words, and you still feel that weight of, I wish this was true of my entire heart. I wish, I wish I was saying this from a place of, of, of innocence, of, 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 of purity. There's just something in our praise that's just, there's a tinge that it's not, it's not all of our hearts because of sin. Imagine your voice when nothing is holding you back. Third, what was sown in weakness will be raised in power. Third contrast has to do with our ability. Our present bodies are characterized, again, by weakness, and not only weak in physical strength, but also just in our resistance to disease and harm. And even though the, we have, we're living in 2023, uh, the blessing, the grace of, of some of the most uh, incredible medical scientific breakthroughs, there is still the reality of that no one is immune from breaking a bone, no one is immune from getting a cut on your leg, catching an infectious disease, or being subject to, again, the decay of time. And we can, and we, um, even though we, we can and we should minimize the unnecessary dangers and risks that we can take to our body, um, it's never going to be enough that we are frail and fragile. We cannot completely protect our bodies from harm, much less from death. So these earthly temples are inescapably temporary and fragile. But not so in our new bodies, which Paul says will be raised in power. We are not told uh, what that power will entail. There's a mystery to it, okay? Jesus, who was the first and only to be resurrected at this point, right, was able to, to move through walls and he could be places, but we know it was a physical body because he still ate, he still spoke, right, he still walked around, so it was a physical body. They, they touched his hands, they felt him, so there's a lot of mystery here, but what Paul is saying here is that there, there is a sense of, of power and strength that we can't even imagine here. We can't even, well, we'll never say that the flesh is weak again. Finally, what was sown as natural will be raised as spiritual. The last contrast has to do with the sphere or the realm of existence. And our earthly body here is strictly natural. It is, this is the only, 
This, this realm, this existence, this life now is the only existence that this body works. If God transported us into the resurrection, into heaven, we, it would not work. And it wouldn't be like, oh, about 15 minutes and then you'd peter out. No, it, you, you can't exist in these, in these physical bodies, in the eternal. But the new body of the believer, however, will be raised as a spiritual body, a physical spiritual body that is able to live and thrive and exist in the resurrection. In both spirit and body, we will be perfectly suited for heavenly living. In the book of Luke, Jesus says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die anymore, for they are like angels. What? I don't know. We'll find out. Like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. The resurrection, everything will be perfectly suited for all eternity. And so here's the end goal of the resurrection. What is this all for? Verse 45, it says, Thus it is written, The first man became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That, where it says the last Adam or the second man, that's referring to Jesus. It's referring to Jesus. So the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven." Paul wants us to see, amen, Paul wants us to see what the end result is of all of this to show that there must be two different bodies. There's a natural body that is weighed down and is represented by Adam. Adam who, Adam who sinned, Adam who failed, Adam who rebelled against God, Adam who was, came from the dust and went back to the dust. But those who are in Christ are no longer in Adam. They are now in Christ. And now there is a promise, there is a reality that awaits them that the new physical body will actually not be of the dust, but will be of the things of heaven, will be of Jesus himself. And this has, there has to be an order here. There has to be the order of going from the natural to the supernatural. Until the resurrection now we still bear the image of the person of dust. Paul makes this point in verse 23 that our new bodies, physical bodies, will not occur until Christ returns. He says this in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I realize that was a lot. <laughs> I realize that was a ton. But let me tell you why understanding that, even, even just a bit, let me tell you why that matters and why that matters when you go home today and not just from an intellectual standpoint. First, as I said, this gives us hope for the future. 
Our resurrection into new bodies means that there's quite a few things to look forward to. That what we are weak and powerless to do now, we will be able to do in the resurrection. That if our new bodies are physical ones, think of what God would have us do to build and create and accomplish in the resurrection. Some of you are builders. You love to build things. You love to get your hands dirty, to, to, to wire things up. It's your joy. It's how, God, it's how God made you. Consider what you will build in the resurrection. Some of you are creative. You can think of a song or a poem. You can paint a picture. You can draw. You, you, you're incredibly creative. Think of what you will be able to create in the resurrection. Some of you are problem solvers. You're problem solvers. You're able to look at a problem and go, I'm on it. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Think of what the Lord will use you to do and how he will use your mind in the resurrection when the limitations of your mind are no longer there. See, we have to get, we have to get off of the belief and away from the belief that eternity is us just kind of floating around in, in, in the sky, just strumming harps all day. That's not in the Bible. That may have been in some medieval uh, artwork, but that's not in the Bible. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and that what, how God has wired you here, there's a sense that that's, that's who you'll be in eternity, but resurrected without limitation, that, I have to stay on course here. There will be no limitations. There will be no death, which means we will put on immortality and all of our loved ones who have put their faith in Jesus will be together. Isn't that amazing? There will be no temptation to sin. Okay, let's pause. Many of us here are growing in our absolute disgust of sin. And I don't mean the sin of you all. I mean my sin, of our own sin. And we hate, we hate how frail and fragile our wills are. That there's a darkness in our hearts that we have the secret sins that no one else, not even our spouse, knows about. And it holds us back from worshiping. It holds us back from serving. It holds us back from just being kind and hospitable to others. Whatever it is, gone. Gone. That the darkness of our hearts will only, our hearts will only be filled with light. We'll be able to sing Christ be magnified without holding back. There will be no sickness or weakness or deformity. And the maladies that affect us today, the chronic illness, the injuries, all of those things will be done away with. Can you imagine our friends in the Thrive class? Come on. 
See, that's our hope. That's what we hold on to. We know that it's coming. We know that it's a certainty. It's just a matter of time. And we wait for it. And best of all, we will be with Christ. Which Paul says, that is what I prefer more than anything else. Second, not only does this give us hope for the future, it can give us peace in the present. The reality of the resurrection can be a source of peace and comfort for us. Because no matter what happens on this side of heaven, we can be sure, as Paul says, that these brief and momentary troubles of life in a blink of an eye will be over. That means that whatever we are wrestling with today is not going to last forever. Do you understand the kind of peace that that brings? It's been said that the reason why we can tolerate pain to a degree is because we know that it will come to an end. We know that there's an end point. Speaking in generalities here, but we know that there's an end point. This life will come to an end. The hurt and suffering and pain that we experience will come to an end. It will. And there's great peace to be found in that. My, one of my favorite stories outside of the scriptures is the Lord of the Rings. And at the end of The Return of the King, you have Gandalf and you have Pippin. If you don't know the story, don't worry about it. I'll help you. <laughs> Gandalf is a wise wizard who does wise wizard things. And you have Pippin, who's a hobbit. He's this tall. And they're, in, they're, they're, they're at the end. They're in this impossible situation. They're surrounded by the enemy. Um, they're coming to the end. Their enemies are at the gate and they are done. And this has been a long journey. There's been a lot of pain and suffering, and there's no hope. And Pippin looks up to Gandalf, and he says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray curtain of this world rolls back, and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And what does Pippin say? Well, that isn't so bad. Do you know why I'm emotional at that? Tolkien knew what he was writing about. Tolkien knew exactly what he was writing there. And in, in, in this incredibly dangerous, suffering circumstance that these two found themselves in, Gandalf wanted to remind Pippin, oh, this will come to an end and it'll be much better. And you see the peace come over Pippin. It's done masterfully in the movie, great in the book and in the movie. Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. No, it doesn't. And when you know this isn't the end, something better is to come. That fills you with peace today. And that, isn't that what we're longing for? I mean, isn't, 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 isn't the escape of this world what we so desperately want? And to know and to have the assurance that it's coming can bring us great peace. And if the love of God and the promise of what is to come is more wonderful and un, more unimaginably beautiful than I can possibly believe, then what does that say about the level of the loving care that God will give us in this life? If there is something great and amazing and unbelievable in the future, 
then what does that say about the present care of God for us today? Even though we carry the weight of our sin, even though we have the darkness in our hearts, that God would still love us, that God would still strengthen us, that God would still be present with us, saying, son, daughter, I'm going to lead you the whole way home. I'm going to be with you the whole way home. And no matter what you face in this life, no matter what hurt you go through, I'm going to be with you. That's, that's our hope and our peace. And do you know what that, what that ought to do for us? What I hope it does for you, what I pray that it does for you, that it builds an urgency to share this with other people, that the gospel would teach us that even though we are more sinful than we ever dared to believe and more love than we ever dared hope, that this gospel is not just for us, that there are others who are hurting and suffering, that are surrounded by their enemies, surrounded by suffering, that are dying to know, dying to have just a sliver of peace and hope in this world, and, and, and that, that it is not our message, it's not our eternity, it's not our resurrection, it's not our power. It's God that wants to use us to bring this hope, to bring this peace into other people. All we have to do is say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Use me. I often dream of the resurrection, the glorious day in which all in Christ are gathered together. And I know what's going to happen. I know I'm, we're, we're going to, I'm going to see my loved ones who have passed on. I'm going to see friends and family. I'm going to see uh, at that. I'll see, I'll see you there, right? It'll be a great time. I'll be surprised by some people that are there, right? And people will be surprised to see me. And I think what God wants for us, that in the reality of the resurrection, that it would motivate us and spur us on to share this good news so that more people would be there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks because um, we know that this truth and reality is not ours in the making. This is not something we thought up. This is not wishful thinking. This is not something that we were, were, this is truth. And Paul spoke in this deep language. He used these examples. He used these comparisons and contrasts because he wanted us to understand not just the reality of the resurrection, but how it actually gives us hope and peace and a sense of urgency in this life. And God, I, I'm thankful that, that I will experience the resurrection. I will experience a resurrected body, not because I have a record that has earned it, but because you have a grace that you've bestowed upon me and so many of my friends that are here, that are watching around the world. We have it because of you not because of us. And so I pray that we would relish and celebrate and live in the reality of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.